to Luke chapter number 17. Luke chapter number 17. Trust that you had a wonderful day today. Uh, and uh, It's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord. And thank you so much for your faithfulness all throughout this week. It's been a blessing to be here. And look forward to what the Lord has in store for us tonight. And so uh, today, Pastor and I had the privilege of, of going fishing. Uh, and he caught some. I caught some. Uh, and all of them that we caught were, I mean, the smallest one was about this big, all right? And so it was, uh, it was quite the day. It took us all day just to reel that one in. And so uh, we had a, a wonderful time of fellowship. We got some Chinese food and just uh, enjoyed our time together. So Luke chapter number 17, we'll start reading in verse number 11. It will go all the way down to verse number 19. It says, And it came to pass, as he, that's speaking of Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, O show yourself unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet and giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? They are not found that returned to give glory to God, save this stranger. He said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. I want to preach tonight on a missed opportunity, a missed opportunity. See, as we come to Luke chapter number 17, we find that there are 10 men that were, that really had this physical ailment of leprosy. Leprosy was not a disease that they took lightly in, in Bible time, and it's a, a really a ferocious disease, uh, especially when there wasn't really a cure to really contain it and maintain it, is that if you were to... Uh, get leprosy, ultimately it would begin to take parts of your ear, your nose, your limbs, uh, whatever it was touching, uh, it would begin to eat away. And so many would lose their limbs. And really the Word of God tells us God Himself in Leviticus gives specific instructions of what they were supposed to do if they were to get this thing of leprosy. Leviticus 13 and, and really chapter 13, really Leviticus, Leviticus 13 and chapter 14 really God details what they're supposed to do to, if they got leprosy. Not only were they, if they were around somebody, were to proclaim that they were unclean so that everybody knew that they, were, uh, they had this thing of leprosy, but in order to be really told that they had leprosy or that they were cleansed from leprosy, God tells them in details, even in the book of Leviticus, of the fact that if you were to be declared uh, clean or unclean, the one thing that they had to do was go to the priest. And so the priest was the one that would declare them if they had leprosy or if they did not have it. And so if a spot, a white spot would come up, they would have to go to the priest. And so this was a practice and a custom for Jewish individuals that if they thought that they had leprosy, they went to the priest to figure out, okay, is this what it is? And so as we come to Luke chapter number 17, we begin to find that there's these 10 lepers that have this disease and they come to a place where they realize that they themselves cannot get rid of it. Uh, they were, uh, 
tired of, of having this disease, and they found Jesus one day, as they had heard, I'm sure, news spread about that this one by the name of Jesus, the Messiah, was one that was a healer, was one that, that raised the dead. And so surely, in their minds, they thought that surely Jesus himself can heal us from this disease of leprosy. But we'll find here in this account of these ten lepers that come to Jesus, only one of them, after Jesus cleanses them, only one turns around and really glorifies God. You see, oftentimes in our lives what happens is when things happen and when we see the good and, and even see God come through for us, oftentimes if we're not careful, we can miss out on the opportunity to ascribe worth to the very God that ultimately made those things possible. And so I want us to look tonight at three ways to avoid missed opportunities in our life. How can we be like this one that realized as a Samaritan that turned and glorified God and we be like that one instead of the nine? How many of us in our lives have gotten to the point where we find ourselves far too often than probably what we would like to admit? That we many times are like those nine. Those little things that God does for us. The big things that God does for us. We miss out on the greatest opportunity to really glorify God who made it possible. And so I want us to look at, at three ways to avoid missed opportunities. Notice first tonight is we must let mercy drive us. We must let mercy drive us. Would you say that with me tonight? Let mercy drive us. Here we go. Ready, begin. Let mercy drive us. Look back at our passage in Luke 17. These men, Jesus enters into to, to Jerusalem. He passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. He entered this certain village, and there met him ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. They lifted up their voices, and notice the very interesting aspect of what they said to Jesus that day. In verse number 13, Jesus, Master, have, what's the next word? Mercy. Have mercy on us. You see, they cried out, and they looked, and they longed for mercy from the creator of this universe because they realized in and of themselves they cannot heal themselves. I wonder if they had made many trips to the priest. I wonder how many times they thought maybe it's over. Maybe I'm no longer contagious to those around me. And I wonder as they had this disease, they see Jesus and there's the glimmer of hope. They see that this one that has raised the dead, this one that has healed the blind, this one that has made the lame to walk has come and is standing right before us and they cry out, Jesus, have mercy on us. See, they realize that Jesus was their only solution to this physical problem. And so as we think about it in our lives, one way to avoid a missed opportunity to really glorify God, we must understand and really bask in this aspect of God's mercy. Notice first, under let mercy drive us, recognize the recipients of mercy. The recipients of mercy. See, we can't fully comprehend this thing of mercy uh, until we understand the really recipients of mercy. Titus 3.5, it says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to what? His mercy, He has saved us. You see, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. 
See, there's all of our good deeds and all of our good attempts to make our community better really don't amount to anything in relation to knowing that your sins are forgiven and that your home is in heaven. Because it's not by works that we are saved, but it's according to His mercy, not getting something that we do deserve. It's according to His mercy that He saved us. You see, the thing that every single one of us deserve tonight is we deserve hell. You see, as sinners, we don't deserve to go to heaven. But God's mercy and grace extend that free gift to us. And now with that in light, to think that every day, whether it's good or bad, and especially in those good moments where we think that we're worth somebody, understand that the only thing that we deserve is hell. But praise be to God that in His grace and in His mercy, He saw that each and every one of us were sinners and He made the way possible to keep us and to save us from that place called hell. You see, those that have trusted Jesus Christ, we are benefits and recipients of that mercy. Ephesians 2.13, it says this, that we are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. If there's nothing else that you get excited about tonight or in your life, it should be this very fact that we deserve hell, but God in His mercy thought that we were worth it, that Jesus Christ came and He died on the cross so that you and I could have forgiveness of our sins. And we don't have to go to this place called hell, but He offers that free gift of salvation. Let me ask you tonight, are you a recipient of God's mercy? If not, can I introduce you to Jesus? He's the only way. He's the one that is willing and ready to forgive you tonight. So we see the recipients of mercy. So if mercy is going to drive us, we must understand the fact that we deserve this place called hell, but we have received God's mercy, those that have been saved. Not only the recipients of mercy, but notice next is the beneficiaries of mercy. The beneficiaries of mercy. See, those who are saved really benefit the most from God's mercy. Because why? We are the ones that recognize really the mercy that has been shown to us. At least we should. And so we benefit the most. It's offered to all. It's not that God's mercy is, is extended only to those that are saved. It's offered to all. By the way, we're saved by God's mercy. But those that have been saved, we understand the great magnitude of the benefits of God's mercy in our life. Let me, say, let me tell you and explain what I mean. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23, it says this. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You see, for us who are saved, we wake up every morning, whether you're watching the sunrise with that nice cup of coffee, maybe it's on that way to work that as you're about to start your work day, and you wake up, we should all recognize and realize that God has given us new mercies and has blessed us with the new mercies that day. So tomorrow when you wake up, guess what? His, his mercies are new. The day after that that you wake up, guess what? His mercies are new. Because why? And the good news is, is that great is thy faithfulness. He's a faithful God in the fact that every morning his mercies are new to us. And so we realize the beneficiaries of mercy. Notice number three is the portrayer of mercy. The portrayer of mercy. 
See, everything that we have is from God. And now, as we think about the portrayer of mercy, now the question comes, as Christians, as we have benefited from God's mercy, and we've experienced the mercy of God in our life, now the question comes, do we have a responsibility as Christians to show mercy to others around us? Well, I'm glad you asked this evening, because the Bible tells us, Micah 6, 8, it says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what the, doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. So God's desire for us is to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. Colossians 3.12, we're told as Christians to put on some things. And one of the things that we are told to put on, according to, to Colossians 3.12, is put on bowels of mercy. In other words, in your life, your heart, and in your mind, your life, your very being should be this, a portrayer of the mercy of God. You see, we ought to show mercy to those around us. Say, well, they don't deserve it at work. They, my children don't deserve mercy. That person on the road that cut me off, they don't deserve mercy. They, they deserve me to get angry and cut them off right back, right? But understand that as Christians tonight, we are all called to be portrayers of mercy. Luke 6, 36, it says this, Be ye therefore merciful. So now we're commanded to be merciful. Why? As your father also is angry? No. He's merciful. You see, in order to miss, in order to escape and make sure that we don't miss out on an opportunity to glorify God, we must understand that mercy ought to drive us. It ought to drive us to the aspect of we have been blessed by God at every step of the way. And because we have been blessed, a way to, to make sure we don't miss out on an opportunity is that from that blessing, we now go out and we portray mercy to those that are around us. Even when they don't deserve it, that's when people need mercy the most. We're called to show mercy. And so we understand that we ought to let mercy drive us. Number two is let dependence move us. Would you say that with me tonight? Let dependence move us. Look at what he says. They cry out, verse number 13, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So they didn't, they, they, really the one that turns and glorifies God, he understood the great mercy that Jesus had to his very soul that day. But notice what it says. And when he, Jesus, saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priest. Isn't it amazing that Jesus didn't come to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill it. So notice what Jesus does based on what their command was as Jewish individuals. They were to go to be declared clean. They were to go to the priest, were they not? That's what Leviticus 13 and 14 details for us. And so Jesus says, go show yourself unto the priest. So now they had a choice based on the mercy that God, that they were crying out for and they were about to receive, they had the choice of whether to, to really believe and trust Jesus that day to depend on his word or not. I wonder in their mind, Brother Wes, if they thought to themselves, why would I go show myself to the priest? I still have leprosy. Jesus, what's the point? I wonder 
what thoughts maybe went on in their mind, but Jesus tells them, go show yourself to the priest. It came to pass that as they went. See, here it is. They now have a dependence on what Jesus told them. I'm sure, Brother Charles, they thought in their mind, well, I don't understand it. I have no idea. I'm not cleansed. I don't know why Jesus just told us to go to the priest, but I'm just going to go. And so these 10 men realize, okay, we're going to depend on what Jesus has told us to do. And as they went, finish the last part of that verse, the three words. Ready? They were cleansed. You see, the object of their faith was Jesus. You see, faith is only as good as the object in which it's placed. And so if we have faith in some random idol, then guess what? It's not really going to get us very far, is it? But when our faith is in Almighty God, guess what? It helps us to realize that anything in this life, as long as I'm trusting God, He's going to work it out for His good and according to His plan. And so we are called not to necessarily understand everything that's going on, but we are called to live a life of faith. We're to trust God. You see, dependence on what Jesus said here and his command was essential. See, if they would have just said, ah, Jesus, yeah, we wanted mercy, but nah, we don't want to go to the priest. We want to be healed right now, here in this moment. Don't we find ourselves in that very same place? We say, God, you need to do this right now. You have to do it at this very moment. But maybe God is using that moment to try and test your faith. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe instead of getting mad at God for, God, you should have done it this way and, that, and, and according to how I thought that it should be, and aren't we good at that? We plan out everything that God should do, don't we? But instead of planning it all out, we ought to get to the place where we say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you as you command me. I'm going to be obedient to what you have for me. That's exactly what the children of Israel faced with when they were standing at the Red Sea. I don't have time to develop it. I could preach an entirely another message on this aspect of the dependence that they had to cross the Red Sea. But here it is. They're standing at the Red Sea. The Red Sea is before them. The, the Egyptians are behind them. Really, it was at a place that God told them to turn. Now they're positioned really between a rock and a hard place. Here it is. The seas before them. The Egyptians are behind them. What do they do? See, Moses had to be obedient to God and had to have faith in God that when he stretched out his rod, that the sea would part. And that's exactly what he does. And so he does that, and guess what? They experience the supernatural in their life because they were willing to have dependence on God. And tonight, if you and I are going to experience the supernatural, and we're going to be effective in this thing of the Christian life, we must also have dependence on God. Jeremiah 17, 7, it says this, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. Where's your trust tonight? What is it tonight that God is commanding and desiring from you and is asking you to do? That He's not asking you to figure it all out in our human reasoning, but He's simply asking you to trust Him. Trust in the Lord. After all, Hebrews 11 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
And so if we want to please God with our life, then guess what we ought to have? We ought to have faith. Trust Him. First uh, Corinthians 2, 5, it says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. That's a good verse right there. Oftentimes we say, okay, God, I will be obedient to you as long as I understand everything that's going on. But it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 5, that your faith, your dependence that should move us and motivate us in life, it shouldn't stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let me ask you, where is your faith? 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. See, here in Luke 17, as they went, they were cleansed. Let me ask you, what is the as they went moment in your life that God's asking you to be really believing Him and have faith in Him and in His plan? And then notice number three tonight, then we'll be done, is let praise consume us. Let praise consume us. Would you say that with me tonight? Let praise consume us. Look back at our passage in verse number 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, notice what he does. See, all of them were healed that day, but one had a unique response to what had just taken place. He turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. With a loud voice, he glorified. Verse number 16, he continues, and fell down on his face at his feet, Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Notice, and he was a Samaritan. One of the most unlikely candidates to turn and glorify Jesus at that moment. Because after all, he was a Jewish individual. Samaritans and Jews, they were at odds with one another. The Jews thought the Samaritans to be simply half-breeds. They, they, they really didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans. And so here, this Samaritan comes to Jesus, and after Jesus heals him, he gives with a loud voice, glorifies God, and gives thanks, ultimately, to his Creator. Why? Because he is worthy. He's worthy of our praise. Why? Because he has created us. See, it, what, it, that's really uh, what distinguishes us from the Creator is the fact that because we are His creation, we are called to ascribe worth to our Creator. And so we find that here it is, after he, we find that He's worthy, He deserves this, and so this one decides that He's going to turn back and He's with a loud voice, glorifies God after He sees, wow, I've been healed. Ah, something miraculous has taken place. The supernatural has transpired because why? Jesus has just healed them and his response is not like the other nine to just continue on to show themselves to the priest. But he turns back and with a loud voice he says, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. And so he allowed praise to consume him at this point. Far long before he could go to the priest and his desire to go to the priest because after all, to go to the priest and for him to declare him clean meant that he could now re-enter society. The one that he is ostracized from because of his leprosy. And so instead of desiring to rejoin society as a normal human being, before he gets to that point, he turns to Jesus and he allowed that praise to consume him. 
and he says, Jesus, thank you, and he glorified God. Psalm 61, 8, it says, So will I sing praise unto thy name forever. Psalm 84, 4, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house, they will still be praising thee. You know, it's amazing that after that Red Sea experience in Exodus 15, after they crossed, they'd seen the Egyptians really army destroyed by the sea. The amazing thing is, is that the children of Israel from that point, at that moment, when they realized, hey, we're safe, what do they begin to do? They begin to praise God and sing praise, praises to Him. Because why? They had just experienced something very supernatural and it's this crossing of the Red Sea. And so they understood that even in their life that they must ascribe worth to their Creator. Hebrews 13, 15, it says, By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. And so we are called to sing praises and to praise His name and to glorify Him. Why? Because He is worthy. So let me ask you in your life, as God answers your prayers and God begins to bless you based on your allowance of mercy to drive you and dependence to move you, as He begins to answer and to come through for you, is your life as a Christian marked tonight by praise? Maybe you sit here and you say, man, I'm kind of like that nine often. I don't, I don't take the moment to praise God like I should. But tonight, would we make a decision of God, whatever happens, as you bless, as you answer prayers, God, I'm going to allow it to be a billboard of praise to you, the fact that, God, it couldn't be possible, and it wouldn't be possible unless you did it. And we must praise Him, because after all, He is worthy. Every head bowed and